Amen, amen. Well, good morning, Watts Bar. Come on, that that was. Let's try that again. Good morning, Watts Bar. Good morning. Hey, uh, a couple of things. Uh, one, I'm gonna take a moment to brag because if you missed last Sunday's our Christmas service, you, I'm telling you, our band, our team, our media, they were on fire. It was amazing. Uh, in fact, me and Casey were eating at a restaurant, and uh, one of the waitresses came up, and she knows that I'm a pastor. She says, she said, I, I was talking to somebody, and I heard them mention y'all's Christmas service and how good it was. And we were like, well, you should come. You, you should. I, I know I need to. But uh, I, I'm telling you, they just did a phenomenal job. And then Christmas Eve, or, or Eve Eve, uh, we had 150-plus people in here, which was phenomenal. It, it was, and we watched God that night do some amazing things, even on a Christmas Eve Eve service. It, I'm telling you guys, you, you, you want to show up because you never know what's going to happen. And I know we've got, we've got a lot of loyal online people, people from out of, the, uh, out of town that watch in other states. But all those that are in town... Um, won't you come in the house? Quit, quit staying out on the front porch and come on into the house because, man, there's so much more to offer in the house than on the front porch, which we'll talk about that at a later time. Um, a couple of announcements. No classes this Wednesday at all. Uh, you know, we've given our, our pastors, our leadership teams, a couple Wednesday nights off, but the following Wednesday, the 5th, we will kick them back off with Pastor Casey. So I'm telling you, you don't want to miss those. Pastor Casey, I don't know, are you doing starting a new series? or? Uh, I'm not Awesome, awesome. Well, that goes great because on Jan leads me to my other announcement. Uh, on January 3rd, Monday, January 3rd, we will begin our corporate 10 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, and on that Monday night, we will gather here for uh, an hour of prayer from 6 to 7. Uh, and I'll be talking next Sunday a little bit more about that, what I'm asking our staff and leadership to fast. But uh, if you've been part of these, we ask you to say, hey, God, what would you like for me to fast? Because I'm going to tell you, for some of you, fasting 10 days without social media would do you more good than fasting without food. You would feel lighter in your spirit, in your soul. You would feel more connected to God if you get some of the negativity out of your life that that offers. Amen? I'll, I'll amen myself. All right. Well, are you ready for not just the final series in a message in this series, but the final message of 2021? Come on. We've been talking about hope throughout this series. Ho, ho, hope. And why? Because, man, it is a rare commodity with everything that's going on in our world. Even followers of Jesus are having a hard time holding on to hope. And so we're going to continue and finish this out talking about hope. Hey, quick question. Anybody else besides me, are you, do you have birthdays in December? Anybody else? Aren't they the worst? Because you know you're just getting a leftover Christmas gift or something. You're, you're like, okay, we'll just we'll make this a birthday gift. We'll just, we'll just, but, but I mean, I just recently turned 50, more recently 54, uh, but 
I'm going to use that joke until nobody laughs. I'm just going to keep going, keep going. Uh, next year, it'll be, I just recently turned 50, more recently 55. But, uh, but anyway, but anybody have a cake on their birthday? Nobody, one person, two people have cakes on their birthday? What about uh, with those cakes? Okay, let's, throughout any birthday, January through December, do you get a cake for your birthday? All right. I, I always grew up with the cake. Miss Faye, every year with, without fail, bakes or makes me one of her famous apple cakes. And I pretty much devour that myself. My family knows it's off limits. If there's only one piece left, you better not be the one that eats it. Uh, and then, well, on my birthday, my wife buys me this tres leches cake, which is a good tres leches cake is... Mm, I can't even describe it. It is just, it melts in your mouth. Uh, and so I, needless to say, my diet for December was thrown out the window. Uh, but, but I like it. Anybody with those cakes, do you have birthday candles? You know what? This just breaks my heart for y'all that y'all didn't have cakes or candles. Either that or y'all just so tired you don't want to participate. Anybody have birthday candles? See, with my cake this year, they would not allow Denise to put candles on it due to fire marshal uh, laws and codes for that many candles. <laughs> Come on, y'all got to listen. If y'all don't laugh or get involved, it's going to be a long day. Because I ate enough yesterday to get me through till about 5 o'clock this evening. Come on now. But when you, when you have those candles and you blow them out, what are you supposed to do before you blow them out? Well, thank you. And then somebody's like, I don't want to be here all day. Let's get involved. Make a wish. <laughs> now, let me ask you. Do you know anybody, maybe yours, somebody else, whose life has ever been changed, completely transformed due to a birthday wish? They made a birthday wish, and bam, it changed Ever, I don't know one person. In fact, you're not supposed to tell those birthday wishes at, at all. You, 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 you don't have, there's not one person that say, hey, I remember, a, I, let me give you my testimony. Uh, I remember the day I gave a birthday wish, and oh, my goodness. My life was just completely changed that day forward. Nobody. Nobody. And we've been in this series talking about hope, talking about, here's the problem. If we're not careful when we talk about hope, we take this thing called hope and just turn it into another birthday wish. I wish this would happen. In fact, I'll say this, hope has become one of those words that, that we've, we've misused it. And it's lost its meaning or power. We say, say things like, keep hope alive. Keep holding on to hope. Or let's hope for the best. Come on, come on. Well, why does hope, when we say those things, keep holding on to hope or hope for the why does hope deserve our hope? Are you following me? When did hope do anything for you to deserve your hope? Some of y'all are just completely lost in this. When did hope grow wings and help you out of a situation? And here's what I'm getting at if you're taking notes. Hope in hope is just wishful thinking. If your hope is in hope, it's just wishful thinking. 
Uh, so, so, so hope, because hope has no power to do anything. You understand that, right? Our culture tells us, though, to hope for the best. So as followers of Jesus, when we start talking about hope, we better know that the hope we're talking about is different than the hope the culture is talking about. We're not just talking about a positive mindset or wishful thinking. Our hope is connected to something, someone powerful. So let's finish out this series. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Verse 16, people swear by something greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly greatly encouraged. Verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Now, let me just give you a little backstory to the passage we just read. Um, Hebrew and Jewish believers that had accepted Christ, uh, Jesus as the Messiah, they lost friends, they lost family, uh, their businesses, uh, people quit doing business with them uh, because Jews will not do business with them because they've accepted that Jesus is the Messiah. So those that were tied to uh, the Jewish, the tradition, they said, no, he's not the Messiah. If you'll remember last week, we talked about how he did not show up how, in the fashion they were looking for. So they, they believe in Jesus and who he said he was and is. And by the time this letter gets to them, they are questioning this. And this, some of you know what I'm talking about because I've been here. They're questioning this. Is it really worth what I'm going through to walk this walk? Is it really worth what I'm going through to believe in Jesus? That's what they're thinking by the time this letter gets to them. They're tired. They're exhausted. They don't have a lot of friends. It's getting difficult and discouraging to them. And the writer of Hebrews sees all this and says, listen, take hold of the hope set before you. Anybody think this is relevant to our world today? With everything that's going on, all the tragedies, all the tension, all the chaos, all the new variants of COVID, all the pain and brokenness going on in our families, in our schools, our government, in our own personal lives. I believe now more than ever, we need to take hold of the hope set before us. And I'm not talking about wishful thinking. I'm not talking about blow out your candles and make a wish and hope for the best. I'm talking about an anchor, an anchor in my life. I'm talking about anchoring it to something that has power. 
I want to anchor my life to something or something one that has the power to do to to actually make those hopes a reality. The the writer of Hebrews says we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. What, what, why do you need an anchor? Why does a boat need an anchor? It anchors in a storm. It'll it'll anchor. And listen, they'll tell you a lot. Of, they'll say anchor deep. Go out toward the waters. It, it's uh, we're thinking let's anchor close to shore. But no, you get beat up. But anchor out there deep. And what it does when the storm hits, it allows you not to be moved. You may you may get brushed around, knocked around a little bit, but you are anchored. And he says, let this hope be an anchor because life is going to hit you with storms. Life is going to hit you with some things you never saw coming. And if you are not anchored to this hope, you'll find yourself drifting. Let me say this. Hope is only as powerful as that to which it is connected. It's only as powerful as, that, as to which it is connected. James 2, 7, uh, 17 tells us that faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. Well, I'll tell you this. Hope without Jesus is not really hope at all. I, uh, you may say, Kelly, I hear you. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But I'm not sure I buy into all this. Here's the thing about Jesus. You cannot be neutral when it comes to him. Jesus is either who he says he is or he's not. See, when, when people tell me, well, I believe in Jesus, but I believe, you know, he's just another way to God. He's just, well, then you don't believe in Jesus. Because Jesus says, no, no, no. The only way to the Father is through me, he says. So you cannot be neutral without Jesus. Jesus was very clear when he said this in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. So either you believe in him or you don't. Years ago, there was a song that came out. I think the band was Truth, if there's any old school. Uh, but the song was Lord, Liar, Lunatic. Meaning either he's Lord, he's a liar, or he had just lost his mind. One of the three. And so that's what you've got to make the decision. Well, here in Hebrews 6, these new believers, they bought in to Jesus' claims. They're taking an unpopular stance, saying, we believe he is the Messiah. We believe he's the promised one, the one we've been waiting for. And now because of that stance, they're facing persecution from their own people. Can I tell you, it's one thing to face persecution from outside your circle. But man, it's different when people, your own people, are persecuting you. Your own family. See, your, your hope cannot be anchored in hope or wishful thinking. It has to be anchored in Jesus. Or when life hits you, it'll take hope with it. Anybody ever had the wind knocked out of you? Come on. I mean, it, it can be scary, let's be honest. You get the wind wind knocked out of you, and you you're 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 trying to breathe, but you feel like you're going to die. 
And, and so they tell you, sit, sit, sit straight up and relax. And, and what I want to say to those people when I, when I first had the wind knocked, just sit up straight, relax. I want to say, have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? Because what you want to do is not sit up and relax. You're, you're fighting. You're just trying to breathe. You're, you're trying, it's the exact opposite of what your normal reaction is. Your normal reaction when you get the wind knocked out of you is to relax and sit straight up. Well, life has a way of hitting us that sometimes, uh, here's the problem. The very thing we should do, we don't. This is not even in my notes, but I've seen it so many times. People going through stuff, life hits them. The very place they should run to their community, to church, to, to others, they run the opposite direction. And I just don't get it. I'm like, eh, eh, but, but, but that, that's what we do. Life has a way of hitting us that we, we, instead of our normal reaction is not to run to God. Life can hit you and make you feel like there's no hope at all. And it can bring on discouragement. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking? You ever been hit like that? Here's what Howard Hendricks says about discouragement. Discouragement is the anesthetic the devil uses on a person just before he reaches in and carves out his heart. Hmm. That's graphic. Yet it's a realistic picture of what discouragement can do. That's why hope is essential in our life. Hope is why single people, come on, hope is why single people get married. Hope is why married people have kids. Hope is why, hope is why these self-help books sell out. And I mean, you, you can write a self-help book and it can be the stupidest thing in the world, but people will buy it because we're, look, we're hoping to better our lives. Hope is why gym memberships at the first of the year skyrocket. And that's why Ben and Amanda, they love that. And they hope that those people will forget they've got a gym membership that comes directly out of their bank when they quit coming to the gym. Come on. Hope is why, get this, self-help books, uh, uh, they sell over $10 billion last year was what their sales brought in. Hope is why we buy lottery tickets. Come on. And to be honest, if you're a tither, I hope you win. If you're not a tither, I hope you don't even win the $2 scratch-offs. So, <laughs> so, some of y'all, is he kidding? I'm not. That's right, exactly right. One researcher said this, hope is like oxygen. Human beings can't live without it. See, hope is what gets us out of bed in the morning. You know three of the saddest words ever spoken by someone? There's no hope. There's no hope for my addiction. There's no hope for my marriage. There's no hope for my kid. There's no hope for this disease. There's no hope for my sickness. There's no hope for our financial situation. No hope. Here's what author Lewis Smead says about hope. Keep hoping, you keep living. Stop hoping, you die inside. What about you this morning? 
Has your hope been crushed because of something or someone that you put your hope in, but it lets you down? You know, I'm... A lot of times, and I, man, I'm just trying to figure out how to go, because it's not even in my notes, but I feel like I need to say it. Because there's a, there, there's a podcast my daughter was uh, telling me about, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, about a pastor in the church of there. Mars Hills was a huge church, and I think Casey listened to it. And I think the biggest problem is that we people, we put these pastors up on these pedestals like they're not human at all. And then we put our, along with that, we put our hope in those pastors. And then we're crushed, and our hope goes out the window when they fall. Your hope can only be anchored to one place, in Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you, church people will let you down. You've let people down. Pastors will let you down. I'm just telling you. I know for a fact that I have made people angry. And for some of them, I, the, especially in my early days of pastoring, man, I was just so dumb and so stupid. Some of y'all think, well, still are. But I'm telling you, I was so dumb and so naive. I would say things or do things. So I know. But I'm telling you, our hope has to be anchored in Jesus. Charles Allen says this. When you say a situation or a person is hopeless, You are slamming the door in the face of God. Think about that. I've been guilty of saying those words. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. And if you've ever dealt with an addict, you've said those words before. It's just hopeless. But he says you're slamming the door in the face of God when you say say something or someone is hopeless. Some of you need to hear that day because you've already written hopeless across a situation or someone in your life. And you need to say, no, I'm not going to slam the door in God's face. But KK, you don't know my situation. You're exactly right. I don't. But... If anyone understood the toll, that relentless pressure, stress, crisis, discouragement, disappointment could take on a life, it was one of Jesus' original disciples and probably one of the loud-mouthed ones, Peter. Peter. Peter fully bought into everything that Jesus claimed. Peter did a lot of stuff right, but Peter also did a lot of stuff wrong, which is why, man, I tell you, when I look at the the main characters in the Bible, it gives me so much hope. I'm, I'm telling you. But, but Jesus, Peter, man, he was the guy that Jesus looked at and said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Man, you tell what a moment. But he's also the guy that rebuked Jesus. Come on, how much guts does that take to rebuke Jesus? And Jesus turned around and says, get behind me, Satan. The same guy. He did a lot of stuff right. Peter knew what it was like to hide and watch as the one thing he put all his hope in was tortured. Peter knew what it was like to watch the one that he put his whole life on the line go to the cross. Peter also witnessed the hope of the resurrection, though. 
He knew how relentless life could be. After Jesus sent them out and he ascended into heaven, Peter was beaten, thrown in jail several times. He was threatened. He saw some of his best friends die because of their faith in Jesus. He watched a wave of persecution hit the first century church and and caused everything he had worked for, all those things, people to scatter and run. But through all of it, he somehow kept hope alive. Not only did he keep his hope alive, but it was thriving. Peter knew how crucial hope was to survive. And that's why about 30 years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, Peter wrote to a group of new Christians who were stressed out, discouraged, whose hope had taken blows, and they were literally afraid for their lives. And Peter was trying to prepare them, guys. Hey, I know it's been bad, but the next wave of persecution is going to be even worse. And there's some truths you've got to gra- grab hold of. What were you talking about? Well, Roman Emperor Nero was about to unleash hell on Christians. They would be hunted down. They would be murdered. Get this, Nero would take their bodies, put them on stakes, burn them, and use them as torches in his garden. And Peter said, I'm trying to prepare you for what's coming ahead. And Peter sits down and writes this to them, First Peter. One, starting verse three. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the what? Resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we have a priceless inheritance, inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Peter knew that those new Christians were struggling with hope and that it was about to get worse. So Peter wrote to them to encourage them. And out of this letter, he wrote to them, I believe there are six things we need to look at when it comes to hope. And that's keeping your hope alive. The first one is this. You are more loved than you could possibly imagine. Look at 1 Peter 1 through 2. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's what? Chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father, I love this. He, what did he do? And he knew you and chose you long ago. And his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Ever felt like you didn't fit in? Like you just didn't belong? That's how these people felt. Their own people didn't want anything to do with them. They felt like foreigners. In fact, some, traces, some translations use the word they were exiles. In today's culture, we would call them illegal aliens. And that's what they felt like. They lost everything to follow Jesus. Their homes, their families, pretty much everything was taken from them. How many know that kind of loss can weigh heavy on you? Now, Corey, guy that was up here today, lost his brother, younger brother. When Bob told me that Corey and Jill were going to be here, I'm like, that's a prime example of somebody whose hope is anchored in Jesus. I hope, I'm telling you, when, when you experience loss, it can weigh heavy on you and it gets old real quick. And one of the dangers of this happening is when we experience loss or something we don't understand, we're tempted to just quit, to doubt God, to give up. And maybe that's where some of you are today. You've gone through a loss. You've gone through one thing after another, and you're tired, you're frustrated, you're ready to call it quits. Even when it comes to your faith, you're just like, what is the point of believing if all this is still going to happen? Come on, I've been there. I've been there. Honest truth, I've, ne I've never met a single person that walked away from their faith because of a tragedy or a loss, and they looked back and said, my life was so much better because I walked away from God and his family. Never met one person. But that's what we're tempted to do when we walk through stuff. Tempted to doubt God's faithfulness. Tempted to doubt God's love for us. And Peter reminds those people, uh, let me say it like this. You ever been, were you the one in school that got picked last? You ever been that? Some of y'all don't know what that's like. But although my athletic physique and all, I was many times picked last. And pretty much, you know the drill. Okay, you're the, I guess we'll take Kelly. He's the last one left. Come on. But, but what amazed me about this, Peter, Peter wants to tell his people, listen, God knew you. Everything about you, your shortcomings, your failures, when you've blown it, he knew you, and yet he chose you. Not because you were the last person to pick, because he loved you. Peter is telling them, and I'm telling you today, God knew you and God chose you. Why? Because you are loved more than you could possibly imagine. Don't ever compare the love of God, that, that, that love, the love that God has for you, to human love. Human love, it, it comes with conditions. Come on. It, it ends. We see it happen every day. But God's love is relentless. God's love is reckless. And God's love is unconditional no matter what you've done 
Or where you've been when the prophet Jeremiah's entire world had been turned upside down. He saw that hope was still possible. Look what he says in Lamentations 3, 21, 22. He says, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends and his mercies never cease. He says, man, all this stuff that's going on in my life. Wow, how is it possible for me to still have hope? Because I remember the faithful love of the Lord never ends and his mercy never ceases. Guys, it never stops. And never stops. You are more loved than you could possibly imagine too. You have hope that is alive. It's alive. When, you, when we use the word hope in today's culture, there's an element of uncertainty attached to it. Like Thursday, some of us guys are going to the, the, the bowl game in Nashville. I hope Tennessee wins. But there's a, some uncertainty attached to it. Even at Christmas, I hope I get what I want for Christmas. But there's some uncertainty attached to it. They, we, we were crossing our fingers and, again, hoping for the best outcome. Here's the best biblical definition of hope I could find. Hope is the confident expectation and desire for something good in the future that is based on something solid. Do you know why they make odds in Vegas about different ball games and different fights? Because what they have is not based on something solid. It's based on predictions. But the hope we have in Christ is based on something solid. This hope not only wants and desires for something good, but there is an expectancy that, hey, yes, this is going to happen. Look at 1 Peter 1.3. He says, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into what kind of hope? Living hope. It's alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Living hope. There's life in it. There's not uncertainty in it. And when something has life, guess what? It grows. It grows. It becomes stronger. Fact is this. Our hope isn't in a book. Our hope isn't in an organization. Our hope isn't in the next president. Our hope isn't in a new job, a doctor's report. Our hope, hope is in a person who lived a perfect life that we can never live. He died in death in place of us. That's where our hope is anchored. And he rose again. Our hope is living. Yeah, that's worse than... Think about this. People will die for something that they believe is the truth, even if it's a lie. Oh, man, we see it every day. They'll die. They'll, they'll, I'm telling you, they'll fight and die for something they believe the truth, even if it is a lie. But they will not die for something that they know is a lie. So did Jesus really rise from the dead? Or was it something this group of misfits just made up? See, the resurrection changed Peter's life completely. Completely. The same guy that denied Christ only days later, after the resurrection, he stands in the middle of Times Square and boldly declares the gospel in the same city that Jesus was executed. 
Peter spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel. Eventually, he was killed in Rome by Nero. Historians say that before he was crucified, he was forced to watch the crucifixion of his own wife. Historians also say that as Peter watched her being led away to her death, Peter called her by name and said, Remember the Lord. When it came time for Peter to be crucified, he begged them to crucify him upside down because he was convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead and I'm not worthy to suffer that same. And first Peter, he's writing to a group of people who were just 30 years removed from the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Some of them were probably there that day. And Peter says to them, because of Jesus' resurrection, we have a living hope. Hope that's alive. A hope that doesn't get weaker as time goes by, but it has life and it grows and it gets stronger. You know what's interesting to me? Before the resurrection of Jesus, get this, the word hope only occurs one time in the New Testament. But after Jesus' resurrection, the word hope shows up more than 84 times. Third, and we're going to go through these quickly. You have a future that is out of this world. 1 Peter 4, he says this, We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Peter wants these new believers to understand that hope has its roots in eternity. He wants them to be, be able to look past their problems that are right in front of them right now and understand that the resurrection is not only a promise of God's power and presence in this life, but it's a promise that a better life awaits them. I'm telling you, you're the future that is out of this world. Number four, you are protected by God's power because of his resurrection, the hope, the living hope. Look what he says in verse five of first Peter one, through faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation. You're protected. Fifth, I told you we're going to fly through these. You will get through this. When your hope is anchored to Jesus, you can be sure you will. Whatever you're facing, whatever's going on in your life, you will get through this. Look at 1 Peter 6 and 7. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Look at this. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. I love the way the message reads, verse 7. It says this, pure gold put in the fire comes out of it proved pure. Genuine faith put, uh, put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. Man, 
regardless of what this world throws at you, there are some things that you can bank on. You can. There are some things that you can say, I know this is a fact. I know it's going to happen. You can know that we are more loved than we can possibly imagine. You can bank on that we are forgiven, that we are on God's side, that God is on our side, that we are on his side. We can know that every circumstance is working out for his ultimate good. We can know that we will live even if we die. We can know that we will spend eternity in heaven. We can know that heaven will be more incredible than anything our minds can imagine. We can know that we have God's spirit inside of us, guiding us and powering us. And we can know that we will see those believers that died ahead of us, we will see them again. This is the hope we have. Man, I'm just going to preach a little longer because, man, y'all are just going to sleep on me. The last one. Your hope is connected to the one who defeated death. How is it possible to hold on to hope when it seems this world is bent on destroying hope? How is it possible to sing to worship in the middle of hurt and suffering or loss and tragedy? How is it possible when the news and social media or a doctor's report or a marriage, when, how is it possible when all this bad news is infecting our world? The writer of Hebrew tells us how it's possible. 12.2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. One of the reasons I said a while ago that some of y'all would do better for you, a fast of social media, Facebook and all those would do you better than food is because what that does, when you wake up and it's the first thing you see, when it's the last thing you see to go to bed, and then throughout the day you're scrolling it, that's what your focus becomes on. Omicron, the new variant, this school shooting, that school shooting, this thing going on. And you cannot focus, contrary to popular belief, you cannot focus on two things at once. The writer of Hebrews says this, you want, you want to know how to get through this? Keep your eyes focused on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Jesus endure the cross? How did Jesus endure the anguish, the feeling of betrayal by his own disciples, the pain? You know how he did it? The thought of you. You were on his mind. It says he did it because of the joy set before him. That enabled him to endure the cross. I want to close with this story. One of my favorite stories. A guy by the name of Mike Iaconelli. He is a uh, pastor who, who specializes in student ministry, especially at college age. In his book, Messy Spirituality, God's Annoying Love for Imperfect People. I love that title. He writes about the spiritual growth conference that he was part of where over 1,500 college students were at it. Here's what he writes. On the last day of the conference, with school starting the following Monday, the students made it clear they wanted to prolong the conference as long as possible. They wanted to party. 
They wanted to dance the afternoon away and to celebrate the Lord of the dance. To resist going back into the business and demands of college life. The morning general session turned into a spontaneous celebration, he says. Young men, men and women raised their hands, stood in chairs, shouted, cried, and laughed. I love this. And then suddenly, a conga line broke out. Within seconds, hundreds of college students were weaving in and out of the room in long, ruckus lines, praising God. An older man, this is what hits me, an older man with cerebral palsy sat in a motorized wheelchair watching everyone else party. Mike says this, he wasn't a college student, and technically he wasn't even supposed to be at the conference. But I was seated next to him, watching the students celebrate when suddenly the wheelchair lunged into celebration. The man's arms began to wave. His chair careened around the room with a jerky, captivating motion. His mouth struggled open and shut, making incomprehensible sounds. Somehow, a man who couldn't dance had become part of the graceful dancing of the crowd. Without warning, his motorized wheelchair lurched to the base of the stage, racing back and forth through a series of figure eights, twirls, and circles. He was laughing, lost in the joy of the Lord. His joy had taken a cold, ugly piece of motorized machinery and transformed it into an extension of his unconfined worship. He and his wheelchair had become one, a dancing, living thing. This man with a crippled body found a way to dance to the undanceable. But what Mike says next wrecked me. Mike says, bring this up. He says, I envy him. I want my crippled soul to escape the cold and sterile spirituality of a religion where only the perfect non-disabled get in. I want to lurch forward to Jesus where the unwelcome receive welcome and the unqualified get qualified. I want to hear Jesus tell me I can dance when everyone else says I can't. And I want to hear Jesus walk over and whisper to this handicapped, messy Christian, do you want to dance? So my question to you today, what's our church as we close out this year? Do you want to dance? But Kelly, you don't know what I'm going through. I didn't ask you what you were going through. I didn't ask you how bad things were. I know. My question is, do you want to dance? Do you want your handicapped spirit that may have been crushed by things this past year, do you want it to dance? That's the question. I want to close out with a song. Are we in Avon? Go ahead and stand with me. Because the question is, again, do you want to dance? Not do you want to think about how bad life is. Not do you want to think about what you got to deal with once you leave here. Not do you want to think about the doctor's report. Not do you want to think about the hell that 2021 may have brought you. 